Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're in a course, we've begun a course that I used to teach in the School of Ministry. I've taught this many times, and I even taught it here two, two years ago, I believe it was. And uh, I was thinking as we were uh, going through that transition and thinking a little bit about the lesson for tonight, that as many times as I've taught this material, it's, it's, it, I'm applying it in my life at a different level. It's still, this is very practical things, and that the things we're going to talk about tonight and we're going to get into in the weeks ahead are very practical things that if you'll begin to learn them and apply them, and you need to listen to them over and over again. One hearing isn't enough. Um, so we make it available by podcast. The CDs are available, uh, and, and we'll look at other ways we can get it into your hands. Uh, so we have many avenues nowadays by which we can uh, avail ourselves of teaching. And, and there's some things I hear over and over again. I know most some, there's some messages I have, actually most of them are on my phone now. I almost know them by heart, but I still listen to them because it's uh, amazing how often something goes off in me I didn't see before even though I almost have it memorized. And so the Word of God, and this is the process that we're learning, God's process of transforming us is through the Word of God, but it's what we do with it that's in and most people, the mistake we make is we read the Word of God. And it's not a mistake to read it, but that's not enough. Because reading the Word of God, because the Word of God to our soul and our spirit is like food is to your body. And when you just read something and your mind goes over it, it's like eating food and tasting the food and then just spitting it out. It doesn't do your body any good. You know what the food's like. You know it was wonderful. You know it tasted good. You enjoyed the experience, but it doesn't do your body any good unless it gets down into your stomach. In the same way, the Word of God can excite you, can make you feel good. You can enjoy what it means, and you can see all kinds of potential, but it doesn't begin to change you and do what it's designed to do until it gets down inside of you. And we're going to talk as we get further into the, about a process, a very practical process to do that. So that's what we're doing. So we're going to start right now, we're going to go over the scriptures that are the key scriptures here. Uh, Romans chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1, but the verse 2 is the key one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Verse 2, which is our key here, which you see up here because we're going to use the side screens for something else. It says, do not be conformed to this world. The word conformed, so the first thing this verse tells us is something not to do. The word conformed is a Greek word that means to be pressured from the outside like a mold so that you're made to resemble what the, what the thing that's pressuring you is. And the world system is pressuring, wants to pressure you so that we look like, act like, talk like the world. We react to things the same way the world does because we think the same way the world does. And so the Apostle Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't allow the world's systems, the world's way of looking things. Because, you know, our natural thing, well, that's just only natural. We're only human. That's the world. We're only, we're only like the world is what you're saying. But if we read our Bible, we'll find out you're not only human. If you're born again, you're not only human. Paul's, Paul corrected the church at Corinth by saying to them, you're carnal, you're fleshly, you're, you're the, the kingdom of God's on the inside, the spirit of God's on the inside, but on the outside, you're acting just like the world. And he says, you're acting like mere men, which was implies we're not supposed to act like mere men. 
So if our thinking, but see the problem is we think like the world still. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed. And the process is by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is a word, it is a very different word. That means to take what your real nature is on the inside and bring it to the outside so that others can see it and experience it. And of course, the greatest example in nature is a caterpillar, which it's the appropriate time uh, weaves this cocoon around themselves and then goes through this transformation process. The word literally in Greek is metamorphomai, from which we get metamorphosis. And that caterpillar changes from its real nature, which is in all of it ready inside of it, and as it comes out to the, when it breaks out of that cocoon, it comes out as a butterfly, which is why a butterfly is often used as a symbol of being born again. It's that transformation that we're, but the key here is understanding Transforming is not changing who you are, it's simply taking who you really are and working it to the outside. And the reason is so that we can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So others can see, we can be witnesses of Him, as Acts 1 says. We can be witnesses of Him because others can't witness what God's done in you if it never comes out. And the way this happens is by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. Well, where we ended up last week, see if I can get this thing to work. Okay. Where we up la- ended up last week is I took you through a series of scriptures. Ephesians 1, we went through Romans chapter 8, and this is just a sampling of, of, of what uh, the Bible says God has done for us. And what we're talking about is we went through and I just emphasized certain promises. We're talking about the process of taking what's been put on the inside of us, which is nothing more than the, nothing less than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. God's kingdom, if you're born again, God's kingdom is in you. God took your old nature out. The Bible says in Ezekiel, your heart of stone, and God put into you a heart of flesh, one that's alive. And then when God put that into you, it's born of Him. John chapter 1 talks about being, to, to as many as received Him, He gave them the, 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 the right to become children of, out of God, born out of God. And that process is the same spiritually as it is physically. My, our children were born out of us. Our four children were born out of us, and as a result, they tend to resemble us. Isn't that unusual, is it? In fact, it should be unusual if they don't resemble us. In the same way, when you came to Christ, God took your old nature out and He birthed in you a new nature that is of Him, out of Him. So that's what it means to be born again, is you've been born out of God. God has literally conceived His nature in you. Peter talks about the divine nature is in us. God's own nature is in you. His own love is in you. His own wisdom is in you. His own peace is in you. All the fruit of the Spirit is fruit of, is the nature that's in you now. It's God's nature. There's a little echoes here. There's God's natures in you now, but that doesn't do any good unless it comes to the outside. So we just went down through some of these, and this is just a sampling. And what I want you to see tonight is this dichotomy, this, this difference between what God's Word says He has done for you and has put in you. So you're a new creature in Christ. You're not who you were before you came to Christ. 
God's given you every spiritual blessing. He's not holding anything back. He's redeemed us. He's brought us back out of the bondage of sin and, and Satan's control. He's lavished His grace upon you. This is all in Ephesians chapter 1. He's given you an inheritance of His kingdom. He sealed us in Christ by the Holy Spirit. So you're protected. You're marked in the spirit realm so that in the spirit realm, angels and demons can look at your spirit and know you belong to God. That you are a child of God, not will be when you get to heaven. You are right now a child of God. God's own spirit dwells within you. God's wisdom dwells within you. God's direction dwells within you. God's strength dwells within you. God's power dwells within you. Inheritance is then there twice. I guess I like that. Seal us in Him by the Spirit. He's made us alive together with Christ and raised us up to sit with Him. And the last thing we looked at was from in Romans chapter 8 is He is for us. I mean, He's held nothing back. Romans 8.32 says, If He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also together with Him freely give us all things? God's not holding anything back from us. It's all there on the table. And then we ended with, okay, how much of that are we experiencing? Just honestly in my life, how much of His peace? How much of His victory? And yet over and over again we run into as pastors... Christians that are bound up by fear, bound up by depression, bound up by, and there's no condemnation for it, but God's provided all of this for us and more. He's coming back for a victorious church, and we're hiding. We're more afraid of the devil than he is of us. And he's afraid of you. He's afraid that what's on the inside is going to come to the outside. He's afraid you're going to discover what's on the inside. Well, but you don't understand, Pastor. I may not be true, but you don't know what I'm like. You don't know how I've failed. We're going to talk about that because the, that what qualifies you for all of that isn't you. It's the cross. God didn't look at you and say, you know, you're worthy to be a new creature in Christ. You're worthy to be redeemed. None of us are. What qualified us to be redeemed is we were unworthy. What qualified us for all of this is we were unworthy because we saw the first week God wants to demonstrate to the spiritual coasts and heavenly places, God wants to demonstrate what His grace will do, what His love will do, and He wants to show them by showing them that He's put all of this in you. But where is it? Where is it in our life? I'm not asking for a show of hands tonight, but how many of you walk around with a confidence, I'm not who I used to be? Or are you dragged down by guilt and shame of your past? Or even just the way you were raised, is that inhibiting you? But you're not the same person. Your body's the same, but your real nature isn't the same person. You're not the same person. So the real question is, how much of this are we experiencing? And in order to understand this difference, because here's the problem. We come to church Sunday, Wednesday night. We listen to tapes, CDs, or whatever, podcasts. And we hear our favorite preacher talking about all these things. And we get excited, and we come to church, and we praise God. And then we go out in the world, and we're just, it's like we all check, you know, it's like the children that come to kindergarten. And they have, their, their, they have their smock that they have to wear. And they have their special shoes that they have to wear. But when it's time to leave, they just hang them up again. 
and then they put their street clothes on and go out. And what happens is Christians, we hear this long enough, and what we do is we learn to do one of two things. We either get discouraged and just say, well, this doesn't work. And we just backslide, and some of you know people that have done that. They just, it isn't working for me. It may work for the pastors, and it may work for other special people, but this just isn't working for me. Where are the miracles? It's interesting, I was spent some time with a pastor today, and somebody that was in his church that was been there for years just decided to get up and leave. And the reason was we don't see miracles in that very service. They'd had someone healed of a tumor instantly. But what happens is people get discouraged because I read it in here, but I'm not seeing it somewhere. I ought to see it in my life. The other thing that happens is we get used to both worlds. So we become like kindergartners. We come here and we put our spiritual smocks on and we say, praise God, I'm a new creature in Christ. Praise God, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. And we sing those songs. And, you know, God is with me. God is for me. God will heal me. God is prospering me. God will take care of me. And then as we leave, we take all those things up and we put them in our little cubby. And we go out and we put our real clothes on and we go out into the world where we think just like the world about situations. Can you put that? Just leave that scripture up. Romans 12, 2. We go, about, we go out, and we just, then we go out and we act and think just like the world. So we develop two mindsets. We develop a mindset in church, and we develop a mindset out in the real world. And here's the problem. Our children see that. Our children see that. What's developing in the younger generation now is an attitude towards organized church, which is I don't want to have anything to do with it because I want something that's real. They're looking for something that's real. And they've looked at us and concluded what you do isn't real. So we want something real, and we assume since what you do is not real, and you do this kind of church, we're looking for something else. And I'm hearing more and more of their developing house churches, and they just want to be together. And, 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 and yet the reality, the reality is that this is more real than anything else. So where's the real? Where is the real? Well, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Because if, we don't, if you don't know how to understand this difference, then what happens is you never know how to begin to... You may have it begin to happen, but most of the time it's going to happen by accident. And you don't know how. And we're going to look tonight, begin to give, you an under, give us an understanding of, of a simple principle as, as we were worshiping earlier. One of the things that, just words, the way the Holy Spirit works with me is words in my reading will just kind of highlight to me. I don't mean with a yellow marker, but it just, a word has, takes on a significance to me. And one of the words, or two words, that, 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 that I just kind of jump off of a page at me as I turn, I've got to sit down again, right? Okay, my wife wants me to still sit down again every once in a while, because my, my back's much better, but it's still, if I stand too long, it tightens up. Um, is that where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Times, he talks about wisdom and understanding. Seek wisdom. But, but the wisdom and understanding, the revelation of the knowledge of God. And the Bible talks about we need to get wisdom. And we need understanding. And one of the purposes of this course is to give you understanding of yourself, of how God made you, and how God's plans and programs work. So in order to understand this difference, 
Why God's word says he has done things in me and provided things for me and why I'm not experiencing it. In order to do that, we have to understand a different, a concept. And this is to understand the difference between legal and vital when it comes to God. I'll explain that to you in a minute. Understand the difference between legal and vital. The word legal means what has been provided, what the law prescribes. So right now, on the books of the the laws of Rhode Island and Massachusetts, there are all kinds of laws you're not aware of. And I'm, I'm trained as a lawyer, and there are all kinds I'm not aware of. But they're still on the books. And one of the principles of law is ignorance is no excuse. So if you're driving down the highway and these yellow lights or those lights go on behind you and you know, uh uh-oh, and they pull you over and they said, do you know what the speed limit here is? Uh, Yeah, I thought it was 50 miles an hour. No, it's 35. The fact that you didn't know it was 35 is not an excuse. So the point of the law is it's what is provided, but you may not know about it, but it's still provided. Everybody with me so far? Vital comes from a Latin word which means living, alive. So when you go, if you go into the hospital in the emergency room, one of the first things they're going to do is check your what kind of signs? Your vital signs, which are the signs necessary to show you're still alive. Or this, you know, so they'll check your heart rate, they'll check your blood pressure, they want to make sure you're breathing. The real simple basic things are your vital signs. So vital means what you're experiencing. So the legal side is what, in this concept, is what God has provided. The legal side is, means what God has provided. That's that left-hand column. That's what we've been talking about. God has made you a new creature in Christ, whether you understand it or not. God has done things for you. It's, it's, it's His part of the transaction. In the body, which is one of the reasons we have trouble understanding sometimes why certain things don't work. With most of the things with God, there's two sides of it, just as there is in any transaction. If you go to buy a shirt or you go to, you know, you go to, to get some gas and you happen to be at one of those few stations where they'll pump it for you, they'll come out and ask you, what do you want? You say, I need to fill it up with regular. They'll put it in there and that's their part. And when they're done, they expect you to do your part. And they'll come and they'll say, you know, $35.75. And they're expecting to see a credit card or some cash. And that's our part. And so God has a part in every transaction with us. If He doesn't do His part, it doesn't matter what you do. Because we're talking about supernatural things you can't make happen. But God, everything God does is supernatural. But So God has to do it first. It's His side. And you can also say His will. Because if He doesn't will something, it ain't going to happen. But the good news is you don't, have to be too much, you don't have to be in doubt about His will. So somebody says, well, you know, if it's God's will and, and we don't know what God's will is, well, that's why He wrote a will. <laughs> He's given us His will. It starts in Genesis 1 and it ends in Revelation. Anything in here is His will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but those things revealed belong to us. So whatever's in here is revealed, it's yours. God's put it on the menu. He's put it on the table. That's the legal side. That's God's part. 
That means from God's side, and this is a very important thing to understand, from God's side, He's already done it. We learned this in studying blood covenant. God has given. Most of the promises you'll read are in the past tense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Not when you get to heaven. In His mind, it's already done. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, just as He chose us in Christ, that that we would be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Okay, now... Wrong side of my notes. That's why it's not working. Okay. So the Bible says that God has His part and we have our part. We can't do God's part and God won't do our part. So we have to find out what His part is and what our part is. Now, our part's not earning anything from God because you can't earn anything. But it's like, it's like tossing a ball, playing catch, used to do that with my kids, with my boys. We'd play catch back and forth. And each of us would have a responsibility. I have to throw it, they'd have to catch it. So when I throw it and they catch it, they're not earning anything. They're just receiving something. But if they don't hold that mitt up, and they're not going to receive what I toss to them. And so there's a side of us which has to do with receiving what God has done for us. But if God doesn't do it, you can't receive it. But God can decide to do something for you and if you don't receive it, you don't experience the benefit of it. And that's really what we're, we're looking at here. So, I want to turn now to see this. I want to turn now to Romans chapter 4. So if you put Romans 4, 16 up there, I think it's 16, 17. This is in a section of Scripture in, in Romans where Paul is talking about uh, faith, what faith is. And he's the, the principle he's using here is that we're saved by faith and not by the, keeping the law. And so there's a wonderful section here in the middle of chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul is explaining to them what, what faith is and how it works. And it is so helpful just to learn what the very basic principles of faith are. So let's take a look at that. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's talking about a promise God had for Abraham. We're not going to take the time to look at it tonight, but if you go back and look at what that is, you go back to Romans cha- to, to Genesis chapter 17, where God says, is, is introducing, in, in, Roman, in Genesis chapter 12, God has initiated what he wants to do with Abram and basically says, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the nations of the world are going to get blessed. And Abraham has trouble understanding that. And so God reveals to him he's going to enter into a covenant with him. And that was when, he's 70, when he was 75 years old. Now he's 85 years old and nothing's happened. And God appears to him again in, in Genesis 17 and reiterates the promise. So this is a promise he's already made to him. And the, look at the tense here. As it is written, which means as I've said... I have made you a father of many nations. Now, when God spoke that to Abram, he was 85 years old, and he has no children. Not only has no children, he is past childbearing age, his wife is past childbearing age, and even if she weren't, she's barren. And yet God is talking in terms of what he's already done. God doesn't say, 
I will make you a father of many nations. He said, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, from my side, I have made you a father of many nations. From my will and my mind and my will, my purpose, as far as I'm concerned, it's done. So it's like when, when I was, you know, I was one of five boys. And uh, when it came supper time, it was an interesting experience. Uh, because we were real boys. And my mother was a wonderful cook. She cooked plain things. And she would place it on the table. Now, we weren't raised in a, you know, we weren't saved. So there was no grace. We just dug in. <laughs> and my mother would have put it out on the table and boom. I'll never forget, you know, the first time I took Anita to my house to meet my parents. We weren't married yet. And she was raised in a family with two girls and everything was prim and proper. And nothing was out of place. Everything was clean and everything, you know. And it was, a, it, was, it was wonderful parents, but it was everything was just, they had two girls and everything was just prim and proper. We didn't know what those words meant. And my mother put the food on the table and before Anita could look at what it was, it had disappeared. And my mother came out, it was between the time my mother put it on the table, went back to get something, came out, it was gone off the platters. And my mother was realized, because a woman looked at her, she says, oh my goodness. So she said, went and fixed something for her. So, I mean, that's not, the point is this. My mother prepared it. She chose the menu, but she paid for the food, she prepared the food, and she placed it on the table. That was her part. We could have looked at that all night long. And there were some nights I looked at Brussels sprouts, <laughs> which seemed all night long. We could look at that and look at that and marvel at the food. Wow, isn't mom a great cook? Oh, doesn't that smell good? Oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, we're so blessed to be in this house and growing up in this house. And then about half an hour later, I get up and go up to our rooms and do our homework. And say, so I don't know why I'm so hungry. I don't know why I, we go to, in this household and we have such a wonderful mother, such a great cook, and boy, we're getting skinny and we're hungry all the time. And My goodness, this is terrible. Maybe we need to go find another home. That's what people do at church because they don't understand. Just because the food served doesn't complete it. We have to receive the food. Isn't that what would have happened? Now, my brothers and I had no hesitation. We, we had no spiritual bones in our body. We didn't look at that. We knew if it was on the table, it was ours, and it was every man for himself. There was no spiritual. And yet, when it comes to God, we're very religious. We're very respectful. Oh, Lord, I don't know if it's your will. I don't know if you want it. If it's in here, it's His will. That's why He says, Ask dawned on me. I was up in the middle of one night just praying over something and just that scripture kept coming to me in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and you'll receive. In the middle of this one I felt the Lord speak to me. It was about 2 in the morning and he says, why do you think I tell you to ask? I said, I don't know. Why? He says, why would I tell you to ask if I don't intend to give? Because if I'm telling you to ask and I don't intend to give, I'm playing games with you. And doesn't Jesus go on and say that I won't play games with you? He says, if you ask your father for a loaf of bread, is he going to give you a stone? And if you ask him for a fish, is he going to give you a servant? That means he's not going to play games with you. If he's going to tell you to ask, that means he intends to answer. 
So if God tells us to ask, He's planning, He's already made up His mind to answer, then why don't we receive? It's the same issue. It's the same issue. So God says, as it is, Romans says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence or in the sight or in the mind of him whom Abraham believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things into existence which do not exist. So what this is saying is that in in the mind of God, this was already done. And the God that he believed in is a God who can call things into being that never existed before and who can raise the dead. Now go to verse 18. Who in, this is what Abraham's side was. In hope, against hope, he believed. And he believed so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was written or spoken, so shall your descendants be. Notice the order. Regardless of hope, he, he believed so that he might become. The world that we're not to be conformed to will tell you you've got to become before you can believe. And God's kingdom works on different principles. In God's kingdom, the process works this way. You have to believe in order to become what He promises. So God's side is He's already provided it. That's His part. He's already given. The vital side is what we're experiencing. The vital side is how much of this are we experiencing? And the key we're going to see is Abraham believed in order that he might become. He believed in order that he might become. Abraham had a part to play in order to receive. And that was simply to believe that God meant what he said. Although God made the promise, Abraham did not have a son for another 10 plus years until he finally believed. Okay, so the legal side is what God's done. That's what your Bible. That's what's in your Bible. Those are where the promises are. What God has done. The vital side is how much are we experiencing. The vital side is how much are we experiencing. So now let's go over to this chart we have here. Now we see that the part where we've been talking about all those things that God's done for us, those are the legal side of the transaction. That's, God has done that. So all these things we're talking about apply to that, just as Abraham learned. As far as God's concerned, they're done. Not only as far as He's concerned, they're done. Whether you see it or not, they're done. This is why we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. One of the challenges, one of the problems that the church in the United States has is we're so spoiled, we're so sense-oriented, we're so emotional or emotionally based, so that if I don't see it, if I don't feel it, it's not real. But from God's side, this is done. It's a done deal. God's not waiting to see whether or not you're going to be saved. If you've come to Christ, you are. God's not waiting to see whether or not He's going to love you. You're loved or you wouldn't be saved. God's not waiting to see whether He's going to make you a child of Him. You are a child of His. But I don't feel like a child. That's your side. But it starts by realizing you can't decide, oh, this is so important, you can't decide 
what's on that left-hand side, how real that is by what's on the right-hand side. You can't decide how real, how much God has done. In other words, you can't decide how much of this is true by what you're experiencing. And that's what we do. We go down that list, we read those things, we go, I don't experience those, and I've been at this for a while, maybe it's not true. Or we water it down. We water down our expectations. There's an interesting story in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus was up on the mountain. Peter, James, and John were with him. We referred to this a few weeks ago when we talked about that word transformed, because that word was used there. And, and Jesus says, wait here for a while, and he goes off for a little while, just a little distance, and then suddenly his body is transformed, and it's that same word, and his body is transformed into its glorified state. And then Moses and Elijah appear, and they're talking to him in a distance. And Peter gets so excited that he says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to build a church around this experience called the Church of the Transformation. Well, that's not quite what he did. He wanted to build booths, which is the ver- same version of it. He wanted, to, he wanted to take this experience and hold on to it and worship it. And you can't do that with God. God's dynamic. He's changing. He's growing. He's, 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 he's the same today, yesterday, and forever, but He's a new experience every day. And the moment they did that, Moses and Elijah disappeared, and Jesus returned back into His, his human appearance. And so they come down off the mountain. When they come down off the mountain, there's a fracas going on. There's a commotion going on. Because He left nine of His disciples on the bottom. The Bible doesn't say, but I believe the reason He left the nine down there is they weren't at the same level of faith. Because you notice whenever Jesus needed an extra level of faith around him, he took those three, same three men with him. And he goes down there, and there's this commotion going on, and there's confusion, and this father runs up to him when he sees him and says, Master, Master, Master. He says, I brought my son, who was epileptic, or he had demons and seizures, who says he's constantly throwing himself around, even into the fire. And I brought him to your disciples to cast out the demons. And they tried their very best. They jumped up and down and spit. They did everything they could do. And nothing happened. Isn't it interesting? Because here they are. They've come and asked for something to happen. And they're dis- he's disappointed because what he asked for didn't come about. Now, he did the smart thing. He didn't conclude, well, I guess this doesn't work so I'm going to go some, and do something else, not that there was anything else to do. He brought his son to Jesus. When he didn't understand what was going on, he went to Jesus. And that's good counsel for us. Something doesn't happen the way you think it ought to happen. If something, something some expectation you have or some disappointment has, instead of drawing your own conclusions, why don't you go to your master? Why don't you go to Jesus and ask Him to show you what it is? The disciples did that on several occasions. In fact, they did it here. But the Father comes and said, I, your disciples... Now, Jesus didn't say, well, I guess it's not my Father's will because they prayed and it didn't happen. I guess it's not His will. Jesus didn't decide what God was going to do by the circumstances. Jesus decided what the Father was going to do by what the Father said. He took his father at his word. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 11, I know you always do what I ask you. I know you. I know you always do what I ask you to do. 
And the only reason I'm praying this out loud is so they'll know you did it and not me. Jesus said, bring him to me. And Jesus cast the demons out. And then when the commotion died down, the disciples came over to him and said, Master, why didn't it work? Why didn't it work? And Jesus answered in one of the Gospels, is this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. In other words, you, your faith wasn't enough. You, you didn't have enough faith to do that. In other words, the issue is on your side, not on God's side. The issue is on your side. And so, what we're to do when that happens is don't give up. Don't water down. That's just what the devil wants you to do. Go back and ask God because there is an answer. Because God's Word is the truth. And God's Word works. Okay. So here's the process. This is what we're learning. Instead of accepting the big difference between the legal and the vital, which is this gap here, we need to find out how to get the legal into the vital. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember the word transform means to take what's on the inside and to bring it to the outside, which is exactly what we're talking about. So what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us is that that happens by the renewing of our mind. That's what's holding you up. That's what keeps the things on the left side from becoming a reality in our mind. And we're going to learn why. Because what we're going to learn is your mind is a gate. Your mind determines what goes into your spirit and what comes out of your spirit. So as you're reading in the Word of God these promises and these provisions for you, your mind determines how much of that you receive. I still know, because I understand this process, and I'm talking about earlier, I said, this is even becoming more clear to me as I'm in my own life, not just by preparing for these sessions, but in my own life seeing these things work. Because I'm seeing promises that I've been, take a particular promise, and I'll just take that promise and meditate on it, and meditate on it, and meditate on it, and I'm finding, I'm beginning to see my mind fighting me. My mind will let me read it. But if I try to push that scripture further, if I try to really get that scripture down inside of me, my mind, there's some scriptures, my mind, some old religious training I have, some old things that I t- heard as a child still rise up and say, that's, but, that's not, but that's not true. But it doesn't apply in their situation. I was going through some today, and it was like, but that was only for another time. That's not for today. Some of you were raised in churches where you were taught that about the, the gifts of the Spirit, about miracles, you know, but that's not for today. That's buried back in there, and that's part of the process we have to renew because what your old thinking patterns are, what your old attitudes you have put in you as a child or growing up, or maybe it's from your experiences with parents, that's affecting how easily that comes out because it's all filtered through your mind. What gets in is controlled by your mind, and what comes back up out of you, out of your spirit, is controlled by your mind. Have you ever had the experience where, and we'll talk more about this as we get there, have you ever had the experience where you're praying or you're just going along and you just know inside of you there's something you're supposed to do? Maybe it's to call somebody. 
I had this happen. I had to repent of this this morning. There was something I know God told me to do. Not with the words in here. I just knew in here it was the right thing to do. But I hesitated. And when I hesitated, I began to think about it. And my thinking was, you know what? That's pretty extreme. Maybe you ought to tone it down a little bit. It was to do something for somebody. Maybe you ought to just do it in increments. Uh, my mind got involved in interpreting what I knew I sensed in here. It wasn't strong, but I could tell a difference because when I got up this morning, I just didn't feel right in here. Something just didn't feel right in here, which means, uh-oh, somewhere I didn't listen to something. Because if you learn to be sensitive to your spirit, your spirit is a guide. It's one of the things that God provides for us. We're to be led by our spirit. <clears throat> and our spirit, we're going to learn that in the process. God provides a perfect communication method for Christians. He provides a method by which He can perfectly communicate to you. The thing that messes it up is that thing that's located between your left ear and your right ear. It's your mind that causes the problem. Why? Because it's not renewed to the Word of God. It's not renewed. And so what I found is my mind talked me out of doing something that now I look back when I know God was telling me to do. Now, good news is I can correct it. But the point is, when you think about something that you sense in here that's trying to come up for you to do, your mind begins to try to understand it and exercise the difference between good and evil that we've been learning on Sunday. Our mind becomes the arbiter. Well, I'm not sure this is extreme. Maybe there's a better way to do this. Maybe that's kind of extreme. What are people going to think of you? Do you? Was that really God? What that is, is your mind controlling how much of something that's in here is coming out, just like that talks about there. And so the reason I'm going over all of this so we can understand why it is so important to renew our mind. And we're going to learn that renewing our mind is learning how to think in line with God's thoughts. We started the very first night by the scripture in Isaiah 55 where, where Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. And we started this course by saying what we're going to learn how to do is learn to think God's thoughts about situations, not our thoughts about situations because our thoughts until we've renewed our mind are the world's thoughts and when we think the world's thoughts we act and talk and look like on the outside just like the world even though the kingdom of God is in us and what's at stake here is not just our own benefit what's at stake is God's wanting to witness to a world that's more and more dark what his light is like what his truth is like what is lo- all those things if the world in Seekonk alone just knew what was available to them in here, they'd be lined up at the door. If they understood what was available, what was offered to them in church, we wouldn't need to go knock on doors. They would be lining up at this door. And yet if you talk to them about church, they'd go, well, why would I go there? And the reason that they go, wouldn't go there is because of the advertising that the church, the lousy advertising that the church does. And I'm not talking about billboards. The billboards God uses is what's seen on the outside. Our attitudes, our talk, our walk, 
our conduct, when we're all fretful like everybody else at work because of what's on CNN or Fox News or whatever, or, you know, the latest thing about deflating footballs or whatever it is, you know, if, every, if we're all upset like everybody else is upset, then where's the, where, why would they want to be, why would they want to take time out of their week and come here and, and just turn out like they already are? And that's not to condemn us. It's by way of understanding that we have a work to do and it's not done, it's only done by as we renew our minds, as we change the way that we think. So to kind of sum up tonight, that the process of what we're about to go through and learn is a process that helps us to learn how to be transformed, to take what's on the inside of us and bring it to the outside of us. And it's not something you have to work hard at. It's not something you strain at because uh, uh, in Philippians, Paul says, for God is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. The Spirit of God is at work in you to help. We're going to learn that as we get towards the end. But the process, he, can, he cannot do things that your mind is not renewed to. You will not accept something that you don't understand and that you don't agree with. Because if you sit in church and some, I come up with some crazy doctrine, any of you been around here while well, you're going to tune it out. You won't accept, your mind will not accept something that it doesn't agree with. And it won't accept something it doesn't understand. And so that's how your mind controls what gets in and how your mind controls what gets out. So we're going to begin next time to look at, kind of step back, because we're going to begin to locate your mind. I've been promising you I'm going to help you find your mind. So next time when you come, come prepared because uh, we're going to teach you where, where, where your mind is. So, and I guarantee you, you have one. The other thing you're going to learn to do, although it's not next time, you're going to learn how to control it. Some of you have minds that are too much under control and some of you have minds that are completely out of control and you have no confidence that you can control it. But if God tells us to renew our mind, you cannot renew something you don't have control over. And God would not tell us to renew our minds if it were not possible for us to do it. And when we get to that point, you're going to learn about our little dog, Mandy. So let's, let's, let's close. Let's pray. Father, as we go along this journey together and we're giving us understanding of our minds and of the process that we're going through, we help, ask you to help us to have understanding. In your word, you tell us that we can pray for understanding, seek understanding. And Father, may we have from you, by your Holy Spirit, understanding of how our mind works. Help us to take what we've heard tonight and to begin to integrate it into our life, to realize and just recognize tonight this difference in our own lives between what your word says and what we're experiencing. Help us to recognize how we're handling that. We just trust right now all that we've heard into the hands of the Holy Spirit to help us to gain this understanding in Jesus' mind. Amen.